It's Tuesday, March 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The food delivery wars are heating up, and companies are looking to create super users out of you. They want to convert the casual user lured in by discounts into everyday users who rely on them for takeout and groceries. While convenience is king in ordering delivery, some companies are pitching subscription services that waive individual delivery fees to lock you in. Heather Haddon, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the food delivery wars. Next, President Trump sent a record $4.75 trillion 2020 budget proposal to Congress. While the budget will most likely be rejected, it highlights the administration's priorities for 2020. The White House is requesting an additional $8.6 billion for the border wall and also looking at cuts to the Education Department. Marisa Fernandez, reporter for Axios, joins us for details on the budget. Finally, file this under things not to do when taking a selfie. Pose with a jaguar. One woman in Arizona crossed the barrier at the Wildlife World Zoo to take a selfie when the cat reached out and dug its claws into her arm. A good Samaritan came to her rescue and helped get her free, but her arm was still damaged. Jessica Bame, reporter for the Arizona Republic, joins us for the 90 seconds of terror this woman went through. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. A lot of them are starting subscription programs, so kind of taking a page from Amazon Prime service. They have their annual subscription service. Joining us now is Heather Haddon. At the Wall Street Journal, you guys are doing a whole week on the delivery wars, the food delivery wars, and everything surrounding it. The one we're going to talk about today is how food delivery companies want to create super users. They want people to transition from casually using their services to becoming like an everyday user or just really increasing their usage. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with these companies. For a while now, delivery companies have really tried to lure in users through promotions and discounts. So you'll get a $5 coupon off your delivery, or you'll get a free delivery fee, and then that generates a lot of interest. But that is good for attracting new interest from customers, but long-term, that's not a very good business strategy. These companies really need to shift people into being regular, full-service paid consumers. So a lot of them are starting subscription programs, so kind of taking a page from Amazon Prime service. They have their annual subscription service. Some of these companies are now doing that. So Instacart has started a subscription service on the grocery delivery side, so has Ship, and so has DoorDash on the uh, restaurant delivery side. And so typically an annual subscription and meet a certain threshold for the order the delivery service will be waived, uh, the charge for the delivery service. So this is not going to pay for the whole delivery charge, but it is going to help start to shift consumers into being habitual users, being regular users, being high-value users where they certainly meet a certain threshold and then they hopefully keep ordering from there and don't just rely on discounts and uh, promotions. I really do love these services. I would probably classify myself as a moderate user. I don't Mm -hmm. use these every day, but pretty regularly. It's funny you're talking about the discounts. I mean, that's one of the first things we do. We'll order from one of the apps. And then the first thing my wife does is check her email real quick to see if we have any discounts or promotions that we can apply to it. But you have to think about it, why people are using these delivery apps. Convenience obviously has to be number one. You don't want to leave. You don't want to go anywhere. You just want the food brought to you. But you kind of already think, well, it's going to be more expensive than me actually getting out of my house and going to get this stuff. So it depends where you live to create a super user. You know, if you're in a 
densely populated city like uh, New York or something, these things might be a little bit more viable than somewhere else. But uh, even with the subscription services, you know, locking in these customers, that's not always the best thing for the companies themselves because sometimes it doesn't always pan out. Yeah, the industry seems to be divided over this. The Grubhub CEO recently said that subscriptions just don't make sense because all the restaurants that they deliver from, they have all different rates and deals in terms of their the deals that they've struck with these delivery companies so that the fees are vastly different. And if you're going to lump delivery from all these different restaurants together in one subscription service, it could really not work out depending on how these fees are structured is one philosophy. But then the pro camp says, you know, we need a way to just keep people coming back for more and more and also to try to get them to be loyal. So another problem with these delivery companies is people tend to bounce around between different ones, between which has the better promotion or other factors. And that means that these companies have to keep chasing them to try to become more loyal to them. So the subscriptions in their mind is another way to try to boost loyalty and hopefully boost profits long-term. Another uh, thing that we can look to are these meal kit businesses like uh, Blue Apron. Uh, you subscribe to it. They'll send you a kit for a certain meal of the night, but they also haven't had the best of luck in retaining customers. Right. And that is an element that they have used a subscription model, which was sort of the key to their launch to try to get people through subscriptions, but they also, too, were doing lots of promotions, lots of marketing, and they have recently pivoted to say that these folks that have joined their services later on through these marketing tactics really haven't been that sticky. They have not stuck around, and so they are now actually pivoting to try to do deals and partnerships with, say, Weight Watchers or Walmart's Jet dot com service so people can order meals, one-off meals without subscriptions because that really hasn't worked for them. So the food delivery business will say that unlike meal kits, this is something that people are used to already. People are used to going to restaurants. They're used to obviously getting groceries, so it's not like they're having to reinvent a whole new category like meal kits did, but that does certainly present a cautionary tale. Yeah, on the uh, grocery front, I have to imagine that places like Walmart that are offering this, you know, order online now and then just come up and we'll bring all this stuff to the parking lot for you is going to be a major competitor there because again, it's the convenience factor. You don't want to spend all the time in the market and then in the lines to pay. If you can order online and just pick it up while it's not delivery, it is that big shortcut that a lot of people look for. That is much more cost effective for the actual companies providing the service. They don't have to pay for an outside company to do the delivery or for them to do the delivery themselves. This is something that's growing and it's particularly growing in, say, the suburbs where most everyone has cars already. In the meantime, there's no shortage of places to have delivered to you, but whether you're going to stick with one over the other, that remains to be seen. And that's where we have these delivery wars. Heather Haddon, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. President Trump's 2020 budget, which was released today, builds upon incredible success and keeps his promises to the American people. Joining us now is Marisa Fernandez, reporter for Axios. The White House has proposed a $4.7 trillion budget for the 2020 fiscal year. He once again asked for more funding for the border wall, $8.6 billion this time, which is going to set up a big fight on that again. Briefly, let's start off just kind of a broad overview. What's in this new budget? Most of the department 
departments that got money tossed their way were topics that President Trump mentioned in his State of the Union address in January. And the rest of the programs on the domestic front, so the ones you're referring to, which are Department of Education, the um, EPA, Health and Human Services, a lot of the domestic departments that we see basically got some of the acts. So what we do report these numbers with, though, is a note of caution, which is that Congress doesn't usually pass the proposal, regardless of who's in the Oval Office. So many times when these budget proposals come out every year, money gets moved around, congressional leaders, they start criticizing one way or the other, which is totally expected. What I will say is that what President Trump's proposal can tell us is his top priorities and what they're going to be for when he hits the campaign trail for 2020. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. He's asked for a 5% hike in military spending. And what you also refer to is an additional $8 plus billion for the U.S.-Mexico wall, which is in addition to what Congress has already agreed to him, for him and his national emergency declaration. Those are basically like the biggest topics he's going to definitely pull with his supporters. Some of the other fronts that we're seeing with these cuts are the State Department, which has got 23% of a cut. You know, the Justice Department got a little over 2% of what we're looking at. Energy, labor, health and human services, Social Security. And I think what's going to be very interesting as far as his supporters go is the Medicaid cut that he's going to have over the next 10 years which is going to be $1.5 trillion. Now, that seems like a lot, but he also proposed cuts last year for Medicaid when he promised his supporters that he was going to not touch Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare. So it's going to be interesting to see what he goes when he hits the campaign trail. One of the biggest fights that are going to be set up again is with funding for the border wall. Some Democrats have already weighed in saying this is not going to happen. We're going to fight him on this again. How does this all work with the national emergency declaration, the money that he's trying to get there, and then with the new budget. We've seen congressional leaders such as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer already come out with statements saying Congress has already refused his walls, regardless of how many different times he tries to hit this money, he's not going to get it. And so we essentially are seeing, you know, just like Trump trying to get more money out of the way. But as what you're especially correct in saying is that Democrats are definitely blocking this. But we are already seeing a proposal coming up how they're going to block the national emergency declaration. So those are going to be two separate events that we're going to be seeing, which are two separate pools of money and two separate years. So those are definitely going to happen at different and separate times. And they're going to have different outcomes or maybe the same outcome. We'll have to see. Yeah, and this is for that over 700 miles of wall that he wants to get in place there. Another interesting one is the education department. They're facing anywhere from 10 to 12% funding cut. A lot of people aren't happy with that. They're saying that the federal work-study program would take a cut. A lot of loans, subsidized student debt loans, and things like that for students are would be going away. So this is another one that's uh, kind of tricky that you know would face a lot of criticism and, and, and pressure to change. Everybody's unhappy with this education cut except for the education department. I mean, they sent out a release or they sent out a statement talking about how they're praising the Trump proposal and how a lot of it is going to be, quote, education freedom, which is basically a fancy way of saying school choice. 
So they are pretty happy with some of the things that he noted in the proposal, which is about school choice and talking about bringing children in the quote-unquote most vulnerable areas of public school systems and giving them more options, giving parents more freedom in order to have a say in their child's education. But you are definitely seeing teacher advocates, union advocates definitely reaching out and condemning the proposal. Some of the welfare programs would be having some adjustments to them. I know they're trying to implement some new job training and uh, minimum hours worked in order to be eligible for some of these uh, things, such as food stamps and Medicaid and federal housing, all this other stuff. The safety net programs that we are familiar with, like you were mentioning, which is Medicaid and um, housing, those are definitely going to see interesting cuts. Again, the Democrats will probably not allow that to happen, but it's interesting to see where President Trump is moving money around in order for him to put priority where he wants for 2020. Yep. And so now it's just time to set the clock. We got to get a deal by September 30th for all this. So six months to see if they can work it out. But as you said, this is largely just political for the most part. It really sets the agenda for the White House. These numbers might not end up being what it is in the end. And I will say one part of the proposal was definitely interesting is what Ivanka Trump has been championing for probably since 2019 began was her new child care proposal, which is one that the White House is trying to keep up with some of the ideas in Congress and in some of the 2020 Democratic candidates. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's also received by Congress because child care is ultimately something both sides really want and they really want a value for Americans. Marisa Fernandez, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Right around 6.40 this evening, uh, we responded to a call of a female who had been attacked by a jaguar. Joining us now is Jessica Bame, reporter for the Arizona Republic. Add this to another thing not to do. Do not try to take a selfie with a jaguar. A woman crossed a barrier at the Phoenix Area Wildlife World Zoo to take a selfie with a jaguar. And the cat attacked her and she it left her arm scratched up. Uh, she had to go to the hospital, get a bunch of stitches. She's doing all right, but still a very, very scary, intense moment. Tell us what happened. Apparently, late on Saturday night, the woman was trying to take a selfie with this jaguar, and she crossed over a barrier that is supposed to prevent people from getting too close to the enclosures, therefore protecting the people who are looking at them. But this woman, it appears, transcended that barrier and tried to take a picture, and and the cat wasn't having it and scratched up her arm pretty good. But like you said, we, we are happy to say that she's okay and going to be fine. Now, you know, it's comical almost to, to think of this, but selfies get people in so much trouble. There's people that fall off of cliffs because they're trying to get too close to get that perfect picture. I mean, you got to put this in that same category. Do not get close right. to dangerous animals. It should be obvious. Describe to us what this barrier looks like, because apparently it's USDA approved. It meets all the regulations. So people don't get too close. They don't get hurt. But I've seen pictures of it. It seems very easy to get right up to the enclosure, right up to the gate. 
it's about waist high or maybe a little lower. And then between that barrier and the actual enclosure, there's like some shrubbery in there. But it definitely looks at like, and from the folks that I've talked to, you could definitely reach out and touch the enclosure if you wanted to. It does sound like this woman actually maybe had either hopped over or leaned up against the enclosure in some way. But it's definitely not difficult to get over in any way. But obviously, though, if I saw it, I probably know that you weren't supposed to go over it. (laughs) What do we know about this woman? I know we don't know her name or too many details about her, but how old is she? What do we know? You're right. We don't know very much, but there was a zoo employee who called 911 after the incident, and she described her as maybe in her 30s. So I don't believe this was like a teenager. This was This is an adult woman. Yeah, you should know better at that age. Let's get to the actual altercation that happened. She's close to the gate. She's trying to take a picture, and then the cat just rushed her, and the claws went into her arms? Yeah, pretty much. There's a gentleman, a good Samaritan, if you will, who actually helped end this situation, but I spoke with him, and he said that someone ran around the corner as he was kind of exiting the zoo and was like, help, I need help. When he went over, the jaguar had pinned the woman up kind of against its enclosure with its claw going into her arm. And at that point, that gentleman's mother pushed a water bottle through the hole in the enclosure, the the little holes in the gate, and it distracted the jaguar a little bit to the point where she removed her claws from her arm, but she was still kind of holding on to her sweatshirt. But at that point, the man and some other onlookers were able to grab her and pull her away. Wow. So lucky. How long did this whole thing last? It was like 90 seconds. It was like a minute and a half. Uh, The gentleman that I spoke with, he said it was just total adrenaline and and that it was over. This is the second time that the same female Jaguar has swiped at somebody else. In the other case, it was a man who just stood at the barrier and extended his arm close to the gate, to the other part of the barrier, just to take a picture also. And the cat, I guess the claw got through and slashed his thumb. So he'd had to get a bunch of stitches as well. So I just imagine claws being dug into your arm. Obviously the injuries are much more severe, but it seems that she's okay. She even went back the next day to apologize after that. I mean, I can only imagine. It had to be painful. I, I'm sure you've seen the video. It's pretty gruesome. Um, I have a pretty weak stomach, so it, it was <laughs> a little tough to watch for me. Well, she's on the floor yeah. writhing in pain. Kind of, you just hear, mm-hmm. keep hearing her say, ow, 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 you know. You do feel bad for her, but at the same time, you don't because it was her fault. Whenever something like this happens, the first thought is, what are they going to do to the animal? They attacked a Mm -hmm. human, but officials have said that the cat is not going to be euthanized. There was a huge social media uproar before anything was even said, because unfortunately, we have seen that in some situations when there's these high profile attacks that the animal is put down. And so there were people immediately who were like, you better not do that. And almost immediately, the zoo confirmed that that was never part of the plan and that it was not the Jaguar's fault. What yeah, occurred. exactly. They said it's human error and that's why the nothing's going to happen to the cat itself. The next day it was still packed. And I think you spoke to somebody that said that people obviously didn't learn their lesson because people were trying to high five monkeys and feed birds that aren't supposed to be fed. So people are still trying to get close to the animals regardless. We had one of our reporters go out there on Sunday, you know, less than 24 hours after the situation. And he called and was telling us that he was having a hard time even finding a parking spot. So definitely 
definitely. It did not have an impact. It's unfortunate that it didn't have an impact on correcting behavior, though. Like you mentioned, there were definitely some people still acting inappropriately with the animals. And, you know, that's the main point of all of this, right? That we can't have nice things, I guess, if we're going to (laughs) act like this. And the zoo has some protections in place to try to protect us from our own stupidity. But sometimes trying to high-five a monkey doesn't seem like a smart thing to do in any situation. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the selfie, the picture itself is not worth it to put yourself in danger. So Jessica Bame, reporter for the Arizona Republic, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.